This past September of 2007, Captain Charles Moore, founder of the Algalita Marine Research Foundation and a crew of five, set out to the North Pacific Gyre area known as the Eastern Garbage Patch in the Pacific Ocean. They collected samples to assess in the gy- if the gyre is growing in abundance of plastic. Charlie is joining me today from Hawaii, where the most environmentally friendly ocean research vessel, Algita, is in port after its voyage across from California. Thank you, Charlie, for spending some time with us today. Oh, nice to be with you again, Jennifer. So the garbage patch sampling that has taken place took place in 1999-2005, and just recently in September, your previous findings of plastic outweighing plankton 6 to 1 likely is a statistic that could, statistic that could change. What were you expecting to find on this expedition? Does it appear to have worsened? Yes, it does, and uh, it's, it's not by a trivial amount. Um, and what we also uh, did on this voyage was kind of leave what's defined as the garbage patch, this area halfway between San Francisco and Hawaii, and go on what Dave Foley of NOAA, who's been uh, working on derelict fishing nets, uh, calls the superhighway. Uh, between uh, the western garbage patch and the eastern garbage patch. And that's where he's found most of these ghost nuts to be accumulating. Uh, he just published a paper in Marine Pollution Bulletin uh, giving a DELI index, Debris Estimated Likelihood Index, for the month of March, of where, you know, based on flyovers that they did and, and current diagrams and a lot of other oceanographic parameters, they determined that the convergence of this debris might might be. So uh, on our voyage over, we were in contact with Dave, and he uh, guided us to an area where um, they uh, apparently believe that the forces that bring the nets together also bring nutrients and cause these phytoplankton blooms. So you can see those from the satellite. And he guided us to one of these blooms to get water samples for him. And on the way there, outside the garbage patch north of Hawaii, we found the highest levels ever of plastic in the ocean. So it may be that the superhighway between the garbage patches is actually more polluted than the garbage patches themselves. So these convergent zones are accumulating uh, ghost fishing nets and plastic, but also maybe areas of high productivity for food production in the ocean may be attracting predators. Yeah, it, it's uh, not a pretty picture. We had thought that these oceanic deserts were kind of a uh, isolated phenomenon in the sense that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of plastic there, but there's not much life there either. But on this trip, uh, we 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 were late in the season, so we actually saw humpback whales migrating through the garbage patch on their way to Hawaii from Alaska, and we saw the mola molas out there feeding on the jellies, the the ocean sunfish. And we saw a lot of black-footed albatross, more than we'd ever seen before in a group on the water. And the idea that uh, the forces that bring the debris uh, together uh, and make it converge on a, on a zone, uh, those forces also bring the nutrients that would cause uh, the food uh, chain in the ocean to uh, develop uh, are, are is somewhat alarming because, you know, we had thought we were dealing with a, an area which accumulated most of the debris and where there was little life. Now we're finding that areas, uh, high-impact areas like the Northwest Hawaiian Islands uh, National Monument uh, now are right in the target range of this superhighway connecting the two 
gyres. So Foley says we need to think about the gyres, the the garbage patches as kind of compressors sucking up this debris, but then spitting it out on this super highway uh, that goes between the two of them. So uh, now uh, we have another area to examine. We're going to do that on our return trip um, here January 21st and through February 20th, uh, and we're going to go farther west, uh, close closer to the international dateline, uh, and west of the garbage patch to see if the, this high debris level can be confirmed with subsequent uh, samplings. So you'll be doing more manta toes. I noticed on your blog, which is very informative, great to keep up with, that you were doing deep toes as well with some nets. Was there a difference in plastic caught at depth versus oh, yeah. the That's surface? No question, but what the um, amount of plastic debris decreases with depth, uh, although it may be that it increases again when you reach the bottom. I mean, uh, uh, yes, we've done the deepest uh, bongo trawl ever down to 100 meters. We wanted to determine how much plastic was in the mixed layer of the ocean, which goes down to about 100 meters. So uh, if we could say give an assessment of how much plastic is in the mixed layer, that would be a very interesting number. And uh, you know, it's getting to the point where we really have to be careful about what we say because we're getting quoted, and we don't know a lot of the answers to these questions. How much is there? Uh, Dr. Ebbesmeyer proposed to me that we calculate the surface area covered by these bits of plastic and how much sunlight is being blocked by them. Oh, That's interesting. An important thing to to know too. So we're we're working on that. But um, I was reading an article by a submersible diver uh, here in Hawaii that's been to many many parts of the ocean bottom, and he says every single dive he finds trash on the bottom. Doesn't matter what depth, how deep he is, he finds debris on every dive. So that's an alarming finding. Although it's anecdotal, it's alarming to know that. Someone who, uh, you know, goes to the bottom of the ocean is finding all this trash. So, yeah, there's there's a lot on the surface, there's a lot on the bottom, and then, you know, there's lesser amounts in between. But, you know, obviously if it's getting from the surface to the bottom, it's it's in the water column at some point. So these are these are things that are extremely complex, and, and I can't give you a number on how much is there, but those, these are the kinds of things we, we want to try to understand. So you'll be analyzing samples when you come back to land in California? Yeah, we're actually, I'll be sending some over uh, from University of Hawaii Hilo where they have a, a hood where we can drain the formaldehyde off and, and, and rinse the samples, and then I can send them in just a light water pack uh, via U.S. mail uh, to the mainland, and our lab can begin analyzing them uh, early next month. So it seems interesting that perhaps maybe a new finding this this cruise is that there's plastic accumulating along these frontal zones and there's also high productivity there is this somewhat new as far as a um... yeah we uh this was uh something that foley was excited to, to he really wanted to know if i thought that there was more debris in the area where this plankton bloom was occurring and i have to say that there was the most i'd ever seen in any one single trawl was right near where this bloom was occurring so and and also the folks we had on board filming for mtv were really wanting to see you know a bunch of garbage they wanted to film it and they were on deck for half an hour just filming one piece of garbage after another passing by so they had were kind of disappointed in 
in the the so-called garbage patch because it wasn't uh, something that was one piece of debris right after another. We had plenty of debris, but it was, you know, intervals in between. Sporadic. So how do you think these uh, recent studies are going to help your foundation to continue to work with legislators and congressionals to try to reduce this plastic input into the ocean? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we've we've kicked off an international movement here. Uh, Rebecca Hoskins over in uh, UK got her town, Modbury, to ban plastic bags, and that caught on like wildfire. And now the mayor of London uh, and the new prime minister have uh, embraced her campaign. And I was just on Irish radio with Dr. Thompson, who's does similar work to what we do in the Atlantic and around the British Isles. And uh, when we're talking online uh, on on this radio program in Ireland, uh, we were discussing, you know, the the need for industry to step up to the plate with uh, incentives to make plastics simpler, to make the codes more understandable, to make the infrastructure to take it back, and you know, to create uh, uh, producer responsibility. So. Um, Without uh, some form of uh, producer responsibility and some cooperation of industry trying to create products that are easy to recycle and have an infrastructure and a value so that people can basically be paid for their discards uh, like they are with the bottle bill, which is fairly successful. I mean, the only thing that's really kept any plastic out of the ocean at all is, is the bottle bills. And until every piece of plastic has a value like a bottle, I think we're going to see increases in the levels. Are you talking about the five cent tax on each bottle, or can yeah, you there's explain? There's a high five Hawaii. Uh, when they started that, they think they they got back about sixty percent of the bottles. Uh, you know, so that's a that's a start. I mean, but we hear you know we have the bottle caps of being a different kind of plastic than the bottle and not being taken back through these bottle bills. So when you think you're the bottle bill has taken care of the bottle problem. It's, it's certainly not dealt with the bottle cap problem, and that's what most of these albatross are eating is bottle caps. I mean, we find bird stomachs full of these bottle caps, mm-hmm. incredible amount of bottle caps out there. On, on Just one 300-meter stretch of my beach in Long Beach on the Long Beach Peninsula, we found 1,100 bottle caps on Earth Day. I, I, I set up a table on Coastal Cleanup Day and offered kids five cents a piece if they would separately collect <laughs> bottle caps for me and I got 1100 thought I was going to spend a few bucks but I ended up spending <laughs> 60 bucks oh boy good incentive that's too bad that we have to in- incent folks with money but it probably was fun for the kids well that just shows you if you have <laughs> a nickel for the bottle and a nickel for the cap you're going to get them back but yeah just a nickel for the bottle and nothing for the cap the caps end up in the ocean well, I want to thank you very much for um, all the passion that you're bringing to this issue and the outpouring of outreach you're doing with the foundation because I really think it is catching on to the larger media that there's this huge problem in our plant, on our planet and our oceans with plastic and human health being directly attached to it. So thank you very much for your time today. Well, I'm uh, very pleased to be with you, and, yeah, I'm, hope- I'm hopeful that we don't create a shade cloth over the surface of the ocean with all this plastic. But that, if it's unchecked, that will be the result. We'll be shading the entire ocean with a plastic cloth. Even though it's not stitched together, those particles will be creating a kind of a shade that will really interfere with carbon sequestration in the ocean. So I think we've got to, 
I think we better we better call Al Gore and tell him uh, to get on the plastic bandwagon if he wants <laughs> to stop global warming. Very Thank, good. Thanks so much, Charlie. It's great to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Have a Keep safe voyage. Take care.